arriving in U.S. mail from St. Louis in the original de Havilland DH-4 biplane and 10 bulky gunny sacks are the combined audiobook renditions and supplemental background information as presented in podcast form by moi, me, Robert P. Fitton. Good evening to one and all, wherever in the galaxy you make your home. The entire Jones series changes with the book The Life and Times of Charlie Diaper. A fight for the head of the New England Mafia operations is about to come down. In the earlier books, Jones was usually confronted with a female from the college or the area, but now he and Franny are engaged and about to become married. Jones' Aunt May has finally been persuaded to move to New England and becomes involved in the investigations as she did for Jones' dad, Bill Jones. With the family patriarch, Hamilton Fletcher, no longer with us, P.J. Fletcher, Hamilton's cousin, has inherited his entire estate and power. Let's take a trip to Boston, Massachusetts, and watch the maneuvering of Coco's one and only boss, Charlie DePiro, as he takes on crime head honcho Albert Fiore. And with Franny's life hanging in the balance, let's get to the conclusion of Charlie Diaper. Let the best man win. P.S. Charlie will always be grateful to Jones for what he has done. The Life and Times of Charlie Diaper, Chapter 19, 4535 Covington Apartments, The Jamaica Way, Boston, Massachusetts, April 20th, 1140 a.m. Jones had not even slept in the hotel outside Boston. He worried that Fury was lying, that Franny might be dead. In the warming spring air, Coco opened up the van's rear doors. In his blue bathrobe, Charlie, sitting upright in his wheelchair, tucked the blankets in place. He smiled broadly. Hello, boys. Charlie, do you know how dangerous this is? Danger, Coco? Ha, said Charlie, laughing. Let's go. What about Fiori's men? Taken care of? Little Albert will have nothing but an indictment and kidnapping charges to hang his hat on. Coco turned to Billy. Stay in the driver's seat, Bumcat. Be ready. Don't mess up. Sit tight. Huh? What? Who? What? asked Coco as he shook his head. Coco, Jones, and Dulio extricated Charlie in the wheelchair from the van. The weather had warmed and traffic rolled smoothly along the Jamaica Way toward the south shore of Massachusetts. They entered the towers through the lobby and Coco rolled Charlie to the elevators in the center of the building. No one said anything as the elevator car sped directly to the 14th floor without stopping. Jones looked into Coco's serious dark eyes as the doors opened and they proceeded down the flowery corridor carpeting. At 4535, Charlie nodded and Dulio knocked on the white door. Jones did not recognize the little guy who answered the door. Inside were three other men, identities unknown, dressed casually. As Coco pushed Charlie near the first bed, the diminutive Albert Fiore, adjusting his suit coat, marched into the room. Frisk Coco. Fiore crossed the room to Charlie as one of the men took Coco's handgun. Then he frisked Jones but found nothing. Fiore looked down and then squatted. You look older, Charlie. Hello, mister, said Charlie. Jones did not think Fiore could sense Charlie was almost back to normal, nor was he aware that Joey DePiro had lived off his father's money for seven years. Where's Franny? asked Jones. Change of plans, Matt. You bastard, said Jones, clenching his fists. 
you killed her, I'll rip your head off your neck. You're a sucker, Matt. All you are. Fury pointed at Charlie. Get Charlie Diaper here onto the roof. Push him over the edge onto the Jamaica way. Is she still alive? Shut up! Shouted Fiore as his face turned red. Bring those losers down to the parking garage. Kill them. Load the bodies in the truck and bring them to the pit in Revere. Dulio did a double take. You're a double crosser, cried Coco. Shouldn't have killed my men. Now you're going to have to die as an example. In formation, Fury and his two men left the room as the other men rolled Charlie into the corridor. Jones and Coco looked solemnly at each other as the other men instructed them to head for the elevator. Jones's heart pounded when he thought of the possibility of Franny being killed. You're gonna die, pal! Coco yelled at the first guy in the light suit. Now, Stefani, I'm gonna take you out. The elevator doors opened. Jones hit the up switch and slid along Coco. Then the doors closed. Another guy pushed the basement button, but the elevator shook and then moved upward. What the hell is this? asked the guy in the light suit. He began looking around, trying to figure out why the elevator was not descending to the basement, but he never said anything. The doors opened to a bright blue sky. Standing in a sports shirt and light slacks was a smiling Charlie DePiro. Charlie pointed his 44 at the men next to Jones and Coco. He walked inside. Drop your weapons. Where's Fiori? asked Coco as the men dropped their guns. Coco scooped up the two weapons. Taken care of. The elevator moved toward the basement. You two monkeys, said Charlie, gesturing with his chrome gun. Strip off your clothes. What? asked the guy in the light suit. Now! shouted Charlie in a loud voice. Both men stripped naked, and when the doors opened, they were directed to the garage. Coco opened a car door and popped the trunk. Both men were loaded inside, and the trunk locked. Coco and Jones followed the briskly walking Charlie toward the outside. Charlie spoke as he walked. Albert Fiore is locked up with his friends in their birthday suits on the roof storage unit. What about Franny? asked Jones. In Fiore's offices with the secretaries, said Charlie as he stopped. He put his hand on Jones's shoulder. She's okay, kid. How do we get her out? Taken care of. She'll be out in a few minutes. People still loyal to me are in the Fiore organization. Incredible. Thank you. After what you guys did, another man appeared in the drive. He lifted his gun. Over against the building. Fiore is incapacitated, said Charlie. Come with us. Jones saw Billy in the van slowly enter the parking garage drive. Where is Franny McShane? asked Jones, stalling, as Billy crept up the drive. Shut up. Tell me what you've done with Mr. Fiore, he said, placing the gun at Jones's neck. Nothing, said Jones. He cocked the trigger. Where is he? Billy, less than 30 feet away, accelerated. The man turned and then jumped to his left when he saw the man. Coco and Jones easily disarmed him. Close off, said Coco, pointing the gun. Good job, bumcat. I never would have believed it. Huh, what? Who? What? Asked Charlie. I need a beer. I'll buy you a whole keg, buddy, said Charlie. As the man stripped off his clothes, Coco turned to Charlie as he crawled in the van. Where to now, boss? I have places I can stay. 
at least until little Albert is gone. Jones pushed the naked man into another side storage room. Then he returned to Charlie. Fury will track us down. I have a place off Victoria Island. I never heard of it. Tell Fiori's in jail and I'm in the clear. That is where we'll be. Victoria Island in the Indian Ocean. The Life and Times of Charlie Diaper. Epilogue. Hamilton College Gymnasium. Hamilton, New Hampshire. November 16th. 5.35 p.m. Jones ran down courtside along Terry Hawkins, a local kid from Prince William. He slowed and stopped near the hoop. Hawkins stood at least five inches higher than Jones and had bushy black hair. Jones checked his digital stopwatch. That's good, Terry. Look, a successful fast break can turn momentum in a ball game. You just want to get in your exercise routine, coach. The entire team laughed from the other end. Maybe, maybe. Jones jogged back to the other end. Last week, you guys missed by maybe a second. A simple layup. Collins got the momentum at least for 10 minutes, and we ended up losing by three points. Jones lined up to Ricky Sullivan, and he set his watch. Ready? <laughs> Ricky beat Jones to the basket, but Jones was ecstatic. This is what I want to see. Down the far end, Franny walked into the gym. Out of gas, coach? asked Ricky. I am, but you guys aren't. I want 10 sprints to the basket and then shower up. I'll see you here tomorrow night, where, gentlemen, we will fast break Mac and St. Pat's until their heads spin. He jogged down the far end and thrust out his clasped hands, and the entire team joined in. Team, 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 team win, win, win. Jones met Franny halfway down the bleachers. You're moving pretty fast out there, coach. Just a gazelle on the Serengeti, Franny Wanny. Franny made a sour face. Arnie just passed me when I stepped out of the colonial house and spoke those same immortal words. Oh, he was in here earlier and he said he'd be at Club Max tonight. He's not bringing Bucky Driscoll, is he? What do you think? Asked Jones, smiling as he hugged her with his right arm. I made a call to Spike. I think he feels bad for Bucky. That's like feeling bad for that hurricane we had at the end of the summer. She watched the boys complete their sprints. Matthias, do you think Charlie DePiro will really be at Club Max tonight? Jones picked up his clipboard off the bleachers. Coco and his girlfriend landed an hour ago in Boston. The physical therapist? Tamara, goddess of the night, <laughs> said Jones, laughing. She was on that Indian Ocean Island since last April, Franny. How did Charlie DePiro have land in the Indian Ocean? Who knows? Probably London money into the land. Coco sounded real relaxed. Give me six months on a tropical island, Matthias, and I'll be real relaxed. Jones stopped at midcourt. I have no idea how they found out Fiore was sentenced on Tuesday. Satellite, said Franny. Probably, answered Jones. Franny, whether Charlie shows up or not, this should be an interesting evening. Club Max, Front Street, Prince William, New Hampshire, 10.35 p.m. With a white Christmas tree background, the live band saxophone and brass filled Club Max with a Christmassy atmosphere. Jones danced with Franny and shook his head. The dance floor was smooth, almost slippery for dancing. What is it, coach? Franny, when we were cornered in New Jersey, I never thought I'd be celebrating Albert Fiore going to jail a half a year later. 
You lead a very interesting life, Mr. Jones, but I know the feeling. Aye, you do. Fury is finished, and so is Charlie's son. Coco told me Joey DePiro was in a federal prison in Pennsylvania, awaiting the first of five trials. Dr. Spitzer and his creepy nurse were stopped at the Mexican border. They must have been paid big money to pull off what they did for Joey, said Franny. Several million. Then again, Joey had access and power of attorney to all of Charlie's accounts. He never told the lawyers what he had done. Joey always blamed Charlie for his mother's death at Nuncio's. Franny pointed at Jones. She stayed with Charlie and that meant danger. I get the message, Franny. I heard the same warnings last summer from PJ. After the semester ended, it was before you arrived at the pool party, the welcoming party for PJ. He told me that life is very complex. Oh, so PJ is a philosopher too, asked Franny. He said that even in his business life, things have to be taken care of with people he'd never associate with in public. And Hamilton used to do the same thing. When I called him earlier this afternoon and told him there was a possibility Charlie would show up at Club Max tonight, what did he say? DJ said he had no way of knowing whether Charlie would be here. Of course he wouldn't give Charlie and Coco credit for the answers to the DA's written questions that helped sink Fiore. But he did say on a general basis, I don't want you hanging around Charlie DePiro. Makes sense. Does for me, said Jones. PJ, through Coco, will have associations with the college. Again, he told me life is very complex. Directly across the dance floor, Coco, dressed in a white suit, danced close to the long-haired Tammy in a green sequin dress. Both Tammy and Coco were well tanned. Coco does look relaxed, said Franny. Jones held her close. Coco was under huge pressure, and when Fiore was after him, and Fiore would have killed him. Well, his testimony helped sink Fiore, said Franny. I thought for sure that Fiore had drugged Charlie. To the right, Bucky Driscoll danced cheek-to-cheek -cheek with a pudgy woman with glasses that could have been his clone. Oh, there's trouble. Arnie Dewitt's danced, kicking up his feet with a woman with magenta hair. He waved at Bucky as he scooted by. Bucky kept backing up toward Coco and Tammy while keeping his cheek-to-cheek -cheek dance step. Jones steered Franny away as Bucky careened into Coco and Tammy. Hey, watch where you're going, said Bucky as he kept dancing without knowing he had bumped Coco. Not a problem, Roden, said Coco. Not on a night like tonight. Hey, Coco, I'm sorry. You live and learn, said Coco as he danced toward Jones. That was magnanimous of you, Coco, said Jones as he and Franny danced closer. Jonesy, even the rodent can't mess up this night. The boss will be here in a few minutes. We'll all have champagne like New Year's Eve. Jones gave Franny a blank stare and raised his brows. Coco winked at them as he backtracked with Tammy, hanging all over Coco's shoulders as they danced away. Franny faced Jones. I'm nervous about meeting Charlie DePiro. Franny's just a regular guy, said Jones. Franny looked over Jones's shoulder toward the bar. Oh, look who's back in town. Jones turned to see Billy Bobcat in a denim jacket and jeans, hoisting a mug of beer in the air. I thought Billy went home to Florida. Billy Bumcat, said Franny. Do you think he helped at all in finding Charlie? Life is complex, Franny. Somehow, with all his stunts, all the crushed beer cans, and the huh, what, who, 
He may have helped if you call chaos helping, but he did drive the van into Fiori's goon by the parking garage. We could have been killed. The guy had a gun. The song ended and Coco moved up to the microphone. Tammy stood behind him. He looked over at Bruno and nodded. Bruno sidestepped along the bar and toured Coco's front office. Ladies and gentlemen, let me personally say tonight is one of the happiest moments of my life. I frankly thought Charlie DePiro was permanently out of action. He said, looking out toward Jones and winking. I told him not to mention my name, whispered Jones. I was just trying to find the truth. Franny kissed him on the cheek. As I said, this is a special night. You'll all find champagne glasses around the club. Girls will pour the champagne so we can toast Charlie when he comes out. Coco turned toward the band. Boys, get ready and make it rock. As the girls filled the champagne glasses, Bucky circled behind the dance floor, taking in half a dozen glasses of champagne. Matthias, Bucky is guzzling those glasses. Charlie DePiro, a.k.a. Charlie Danger, a.k.a. Charlie Diaper, stepped out of the front office with two of Coco's girls on either arm. He wore a black suit with a red tie. The applause in the club slowly rose to a high level as the song continued. As Charlie approached the dance floor, Bucky Driscoll, two champagne glasses in his hands, fell off a chair and tumbled over toward Charlie. Charlie raised his leg back and instantly kicked Bucky with the heel of his shoe. Like a shuffleboard puck, Bucky swung backward across the beer-slicked wood floor toward the front door. Bruno opened the front door and let Bucky slide into the parking lot. Bruno shut the door and nodded to Coco on the microphone stage. Coco's voice echoed with the song. Welcome back, Charlie. Charlie waved to the crowd and stepped up to the stage. Thank you, everybody. Thank you. I want to tell everyone assembled that I'm grateful for your turning out to welcome me back, both to the region and to reality. Thank all who helped my return. I want everyone to have a good time, and remember, there's always a chance to redeem yourself, and it helps to have friends. Thank you. Thank you, Charlie. Ladies and gentlemen, enjoy yourself. Drinks are on the club. Well, coach? Back to the basketball court for you. Franny, you never know when you'll see action. Club Max, Front Street, Prince William, New Hampshire, 2.05 a.m. Jones and Coco sat at the bar. Everyone had left except Bruno, who counted the receipts in the front office, and Franny, leaning with her eyes closed, on Jones's shoulder. Coco lit a cigarette. I got bad news for you. What's the matter? Bumcat. What about him? The Gazette hired him back. He promised to write this story about the logbook scandal. What? Only one problem. Keep this under your hat. If he writes the story, Mr. Bumcat will be writing his own obit. Not good. Jonesy, when I landed, the boss brought me up to the 22nd floor where he had his offices in the day. He had the place cleared and new stuff is coming in next week. The sun was going down, you know, that orange glow in the west. Car headlights moved down Storo Drive and over the Harvard Bridge. Charlie comes in with two guys and he tells us to stay in the hall. He's wearing a turtleneck and jeans, casual clothes, and he looks out over the city. The lights in the Peru and Hancock building are getting brighter. Then he says, Coco, 
I must say, good things are good, and it's good to be back in the city again. He turns to me and tells me he sent an envelope of cash to Bernie Newman's widow here in the city, and he arranged for the funeral home bill to be paid, and he got a stone at the cemetery. And I know money went to Connecticut. I tell him I'm glad he's back, and I was sorry about Joey. He said he didn't have a son. He thanked me for what I did, and now I'm thanking you, Jonesy. Seven years ago, I wanted you back here because the old man wanted the best coach for his teams. I get that and a clone of Bill Jones. Coco, I'm just a humble coach from Hamilton College who, like his dad, gets drawn into murder investigations. No, it's something else, Jonesy. Jones looked through the rising smoke and into his friend's dark eyes. You hate to lose. Well, we come to the end of Charlie Diaper, and thank you very much for listening. Next week, another Jones, Six Feet Under. This one involves going back in time. Was there an unseen murder in Hamilton 25 years in the past? Matthias Jones begins to wonder what happened to Professor Harrison Mobley decades ago. Did he leave the town when all of his enemies descended on his colonial on the common 25 years ago? Or was there foul play? Jones has a side road theory that Mobley may have been murdered, perhaps in his own house. But it's more complicated. All the suspects from 25 years ago are alive in Hamilton today, some in prominent positions. And someone does not want Jones uncovering the details of what happened one night at his house so long ago. I'm Robert P. Fitton. Have a great evening and take care. my books are available in paperback, Kindle, and audio at www.fittenbooks.com. And here's a real nifty factoid. You can listen to all my audiobooks without interruption on audible.com. Just type in Robert P. Fitton. Thank you and good night.